Welcome to the Great Job Podcast, where we help you design your own handbook for raising amazing kids. I'm Emily Mall, a stay-at-home mom who's been in therapy for over a decade and is returning to work now. And I'm Dan Mall, a designer, creative director, entrepreneur, and author. We've been together for over 20 years and have spent the last 12 raising our two daughters. We believe that everyone deserves a non-judgmental space to show up as themselves, share, make mistakes, and grow. On this show, we pull back the curtains on everything we've tried, tested, and thought about so you can feel supported and less alone in your parenting journey. You'll leave each episode with practices, strategies, conversation starters, and support to set your kids up for the best future possible. All right, welcome to Boundaries Part 2, our two-parter. We're getting into the boundaries with kids because we talked about the what boundaries are in the last episode and how to have them and all that kind of stuff. And where we last left off was boundaries with kids is tough because they are supposed to be part of you. They were a part of you, literally were a part of you, physically were a part of you, came out of you. I don't need to do an anatomy lesson, I don't think, on this. Um, And so now you're responsible for them, but you're supposed to have them be independent people. That's what parents are supposed to do. So what does boundaries with kids actually mean? What does it look like? How do we do it? How do we? How do we do it? How do parents in general do it? Uh, what do you think? What do you think about boundaries with kids? Um, a lot of what I think about boundaries with kids comes from the book Boundaries with Kids, um, with Cloud and Townsend, and they just start out the book by saying building boundaries in a kid accomplishes um, this was once external becomes internal. So they say that because kids don't naturally possess structure and that's something that has to be learned and that is learned from us as their parents. So they gradually learn what falls within their boundaries, feelings, attitudes, and behaviors are their problem and not someone else's. I think it's worth saying that humans don't come with the ability to have boundaries, right? That's like, that's like a learned skill it's not necessarily an innate thing. I think some people have it more naturally or gravitate toward it more naturally, but it's like, that's a thing that everyone has to learn, right? Like, I think especially anthropologically speaking, the way that humans were raised has almost always been in villages. So it's natural, I think, that there's a lot of soft boundaries that go on because kids learn what their parents want and need as well as what they want and need, but also their cousins and their uncles and their friends or their community, whatever their community is that they're raised in. So I think boundaries is really tough, especially when you grow up with positive things like big family or you know generally big villages that help to raise you. So like at what point does the kid start to separate the how do you, you know, how do you do that? I think it's something that is constantly evolving because something we talk about a lot is when we advance as a society, like we are now learning new things and we are like even with the internet we have more access to information and education than our parents did and so they didn't have access to all the things and all the resources and all the tools like we have now that teach us all these cool tools and tricks and tips on how to manage ourselves and our kids and I think Also, the fact that we are humans who constantly change and evolve and learn and grow, that this is not a one and done process. This is a thing that you have to continue to monitor and manage and learn from and make mistakes and repeat and grow into so that you can have a better life and freedom. I think I've said this on the show before, but I remember 
when we had Sita, our, our oldest, when you were pregnant with her, um, I remember my boss at the time saying to me, uh, just kind of like giving me generally general advice and saying how excited he was that I was going to have a first kid. I think at the time he had two kids. And he said to me, like, the day that your daughter is born, that is the minute that she will need you most in her life. Like, you are going to be responsible for everything that she needs to do. Like, she can breathe on her own. All the rest is up to you. Changing the diapers, feeding, burping, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then every day from there, they need you less and less. And I think that's kind of related to what you were talking about with boundaries. It's like the things that are are external to kids, things that like, you know, they don't learn how to burp on their own. That has to come externally. It has to be like external provocation for that. Eventually, they learn how to burp on their own, you know, and eventually they learn how to feed themselves, you know, when they get older, you know, as they get to be older kids and as they get to be teenagers, they can like make themselves meals and then drive themselves to get meals, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so I feel like boundaries are kind of the same way. It's, it's like they come externally for kids. And I think a lot of that comes from their parents and their caretakers. And so what are some ways that I, I've got a, a list of things. I know I think that you have a list of things. What are some ways that externally boundaries can come from us as their caretakers, as their parents that eventually we hope become internal to them? Well, a lot of my thoughts on it obviously come from this book, Boundaries with Kids. And before we get into it, they have the 10 principles of teaching your kids boundaries and like what they need to learn. Oh, that's a lot. Which is exciting. I know there's <laughs> okay. a lot. We don't have to get into all of them, but no, I, I want think, to. We should. We should. Okay. Before I get into them, okay. the one thing I love that they say is as a rule, children don't know what they're doing. They have little idea how to handle life so that it works right. That's why they have parents to love them, give them structure and guide them into maturity. So just as a puppy needs obedience training, kids need help from the outside. Basically, children will mature to the level the parent structures them and no higher. The parent's limitations in being able to be responsible and teach responsibility influence how well children learn responsibility. Children don't have it in them to grow themselves up. They respond and adapt to how they are parented. Wow. That's good. Right? That's really good. That's so much pressure, but also I get it, but also here we go. That's the job, right? Yeah. I like that. That's that's really good. Okay. That's a good foundation. So do you want to jump into the 10 boundary principles kids need to know? Uh, yeah. There was one thing that I would say, you know, be- before you do that, kids don't know what they're doing. And like one of the things that I often have to remind myself is like, you know, sometimes I'll be talking to our kids and I'm like, what, what are they thinking? And I'll, sometimes I'll even say like, what were you thinking? And I have to remind myself that I think it's until 25, the amygdala is still developing. So like that's the thing in your brain that makes you have rational decisions. And so, you know, what was the kid thinking? Honestly, probably nothing. (laughs) Like they probably weren't thinking about anything there. And I think that's an important thing that I like to try to remind myself that like I can't expect them to be logical. I can't expect them to be rational. And when I do expect it, it's actually a mismanaged expectation. Like and so in the same way. I don't think I can expect our kids to have boundaries because they just aren't capable of that. Like it's just they don't have that capacity in their brain yet. And so that expectation of like, oh, I wish that they had this sometimes is a little bit too rushed. You know, I find that that we as parents do that, you know, the, the two of us, but also parents in general, you know, do that, that they like we want our kids to actually sometimes have capacity they don't have yet. I think it's our job to fill in that capacity for them when when they don't have it. Yeah, that's tough. And it's frustrating. Yeah, for sure. Um, One of the things I'd like before they jump into the 10 boundary principles is they talk about like 
some broad guidelines for understanding the different boundaries that apply to different age levels in kids. So because here at Great Job, we talk about the pivotals, which is basically like eight to 16 or whatever. They break it down a little bit different. So I'll just do some of these older kids, like six to 11 years. This stage involves a great deal of industriousness, as well as an increasing investment in the world outside of the family, school activities, church, friends, Boundary issues will revolve around balancing time at home and with friends, homework and school tasks, school orientation, budgeting time and money. Consequences can involve restrictions on friendships, freedom and home privileges. So we're not even in the like timeout stage anymore. We're kind of past that. And we're working with kids who understand consequences differently now. And we're taking our ex, like external motivation that we usually put on them to do things, now they're learning internal motivation to do things. So I think that's cool. And um, for the 12 to 18 years, adolescence is the final step before adulthood. It involves tasks such as solidifying one's identity as distinct from the parent's identity, career leanings, sexual maturation, love choices, and values. It's also the period in which you should begin de-parenting, moving from a position of control to one of influence with your child. Well, I like that word de-parenting because I think that that is, that is the job that we have, you know, kind of from day one, but like through, especially in this age group, you know, the idea that we... Hopefully, if we're doing our jobs well, we parent less and less. And I think that's an uncomfortable idea. Like we're, our jobs are to make ourselves, obsolete is too strong of a word, but like that hopefully by the time our kids leave our care and are out in the world, that they don't need us to be parents, at least in the same way that we were before. They don't, we don't need, they don't need us to supply things externally because they've adopted a lot of those things internally. Yeah, they don't have the skills to do a lot of this stuff and they learn from us. So by um, there's three ways they learn and they talk about like how we influence our kids to develop boundaries and it's through teaching, modeling and helping your kid internalize and like, you know, sit with disappointment and their feelings and all that kind of stuff. So those are, you know, three of the ways that we do impact them for the long haul. <laughs> so I have four ways and this is related to like how I teach folks at work. And ways to learn. I, do you want to go over it now or do you want to go through the 10, the 10 ways first? Yeah, yeah, I'm curious. Okay, so the four ways that that I've kind of put, like how do people learn generally? And there's some overlap. So I think teaching, I think teaching is a broad category that can be broken down into, into subcategories. So a lot of mine are around that. Um, modeling was one that you had, I think, on yours. So that's one that I have in mind. And, um, and here's the four. Modeling, coaching, directing, and mentoring. I'm curious about the difference between coaching and mentoring because... Yeah. They seem similar to me. Totally. So, so I think that's why it's worth distinguishing. So mentoring is the idea that you would tell your kid or whoever it is that you're trying to help learn, you would tell them stories of things that you have done. And just to, should we do a deep dive on that one? Yeah, that's interesting. So like the etymology of the word mentor, I don't think the word mentor has like an actual root. It comes from the story of Odysseus, where when Odysseus was going on the Odyssey, he left his kid with his friend and his friend's name was Mentor. And what he said was like, hey, I want you to take care of my kid while I'm gone and I want you to tell him stories about your life. And so that's what mentoring is, is like telling people stories of things that you've done so that they can apply their own lessons from it. That is a great tool to use, especially with one of my favorite psychologists, like child psychologists is Dr. Becky. She's really popular on all, all platforms. She's amazing. Listen to her podcast. We'll drop you know, her stuff in the show notes. One thing she's pioneering right now is 
DFKs and deeply feeling kids. And these, yeah, these are the kids that they just feel things so deeply. And so their responses are a little bit outside of what you would expect, which is fine. But one of her ways of getting through to them is not through the front door. Like, Hey, you know, you need to do this. And you like, you know, bossing them and trying to like directly speak to them. She's like, you got to use like a side door approach where you sit down and you talk to them. Like, you know, I remember a time where, you know, I was a kid and I had this like really big thing happen to me and it was really hard. She does her ability to give you language to use with your kid is so awesome. That is something that like we as parents are like, what? I could say that. I should say it like that. Okay, I'll try that. You know, she's great at that. So, you know, if you have especially younger kids, um, she's like perfect. So definitely check her out. But that is right along the lines of what she does. So I really like that. And so you brought up the second one, which is directing. Right. So like mentoring is one style, which is like you're telling stories and you're letting them kind of apply their own lessons. For some kids, that's like the way that they're going to learn. And for others, they need to be told what to do. You know, others like the structure, others appreciate it, others hate it, but it works. You know, so I think there's so directing. If you think about it like a director on a movie set, the director's telling this actor, you have to act like this. Like this is your motivation. This is what we need you to do. These are the lines you need to say. Here's the script. Do that thing. And so directing is like just straight up telling someone this is what you do. Do the dishes. You know, that like that is a form of directing, whereas mentoring would have been something like, you know, when I was a kid, one of the ways that I helped out in my family was to do some of the things around the house that my parents did. And so, you know, doing the dishes was one of those, doing the laundry is one of those things. And that's different. That's a different style of helping the kid learn what they're going to learn. So that's modeling. I'm sorry, mentoring and and directing. And then the other two. So modeling is kind of, is one that you had on your list as well. Modeling is the idea that you do it so that they get to watch you and observe you and, and sense you doing it. And then they can do it too. They know what it looks like, sounds like, feels like, because they, they have a way to observe that actually happening. So modeling is a big one. I think this is where a lot of parents get stuck. It's really hard. For example, we um, Dan hates being interrupted. <laughs> so even in part one of this, I'm going to call us out right now. Is that okay? Great. Okay. In part one of this Boundaries podcast, he was done. He was like, "M, you interrupt me a lot. And I don't, he's like, is that on purpose? And I was like, uh, you, yes, I don't know. And I know it's something about him that he doesn't like and he doesn't like when other people do it. And so because it's important to him, it's something that we've modeled and we teach our kids and they will say, don't interrupt me or like, you know, they'll use our same language that we will use to. And we've had to kind of drive that one home a few times. Yeah, for sure. I, I think modeling is hard because it means that you have to do the thing that you want your kids to do. And like it's the opposite of, well, you know, do as I say, not as I do. I know one that's hard for me is like I am addicted to soda. And I drink a lot of soda and I don't want my kids to drink soda because I think it's such a difficult thing to get out of. Mm. So it's hard to be like, no, you can't order soda when we go out, but I'm going to order a soda. And that's something that kills me every time that I do it. So I'm like, okay, if for me to model that, like I can direct my kid on that, I can coach my kid on that, I can mentor them on that, but I'm not doing a good job modeling on that. And so in order for me to be a good modeler, if that's the way that they might learn from it, I've got to be on my game too. And that, that applies to all sorts of other things, you know, cell phone usage, screen usage, like all the things that you want your kids to do or not do. I mean, are you doing them? You know, are, are you doing them or not doing them in the same way that they can actually learn in that way, uh, especially for some kids, modeling is the best way that they learn. Yeah. And we learn that pretty early on in parenting when your kid literally mimics you. They say the things that you say, they, you know, will drop a curse word. 
they will, you know, they just copy you and you're like, oh, and now you, it just makes you so much more self-aware of what you're doing and what you're saying and how you're acting. And that is why it is being a parent is a tough job. There was a <laughs> there was a word that our, our oldest when she was a baby, she would say this word and we were like, what? What is she saying? And she would say like every time we had like food or something to give her or something like that, she would say my mind. And we were like, what is my mind? Like, and we don't, we didn't know what she was trying to say. And like this went on for, for weeks, I think, maybe months even, until one day we realized that I think every time you had food, you would say, you want some of mine? And so she would say my mind because I think she's trying to say, do you want some of mine? She was trying to share, you know, the things that she had. And that was, that's what my mind means. And it came directly from a thing that you said, like your inflection, the tone, even like even the words. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, they are listening to everything. And I don't think that goes away when they get older. You know, they might seem like they're ignoring, but I think they're still picking up every single thing. Yeah, they're stealing my clothes and lipstick and shoes and stuff. That's still, I think, a form of modeling because, you know, they see the way I dress, the things I choose to buy, the way I choose to live my life. And they're going to see that for a long time. I mean, our kids see me pitching to clients. And so whenever they want something from me, they make a PowerPoint presentation. And their presentations are excellent. Maybe we'll post those somewhere at some point. Yeah, they are so good. But I think that that comes directly from modeling, you know, and, and not unintentional model. Like I didn't teach them to do that. And I didn't I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to show them me doing this so that they do it, too. Like it's mo- sometimes modeling is unintentional, too. So I think that's a that's why it's a tricky one to watch out for as well. So what do you think about cursing? Because I think you and I have two different ideas about it. And actually, even in our community has a has a different idea about it because it's a no, no in our community. But in our family, I think I'm different than you. So I yeah. have a very like. Oh, I get to curse because I'm an adult and I know when it's appropriate to use and say and when to, you know, and when and how to use it versus you're a kid. You have not earned that privilege yet. Like the same way, like I'm not going to buy you a, you know, business class seat. What is it? Gordon Ramsay. who's like, I'm not going to buy my kids a first class ticket on an airplane. They haven't earned that. They could go sit in like coach, whatever. So I have that like same mentality about it where like there are still some kid things that I can explain to my kid and I can talk to them about that. Even if they're seeing me do, it's not like a do as I say, not as I do thing. It's more of like, Hey, I'm an adult and you're a kid. Like, please understand there. That's, those are two different things. There's a reason you're not driving right now. There's a reason you're not allowed to vote. Like, you know, you aren't developmentally ready for certain things. And I don't want you to jump ahead because I think that's dangerous. And I mean, maybe that's one of our own parenting principles, but I want my kid to be a kid for as long as possible and as is developmentally appropriate. Yeah, it's funny. I, I had a talk with Sita on the on a drive the other day about cursing. I really? don't think I, yeah, I don't think I, I told you about this. So when we were driving, she said something. We were talking about bad words. And I was like, you ever said a bad word? And she's like, no, no, no. And I was like, do you want to say one? And she's like, no, no. Like, Because I think she feels like oh, I would get in trouble if I do that. And, and I don't curse a lot. And I, I told her a story of um, actually that same boss that I mentioned earlier. He gave me some advice once. And he was like, you know, Dan, I know you don't curse. But sometimes a client needs to hear you drop an F-bomb to know that you're serious. And I was like, oh. Like, and, and I think the point of that was that words have power. And I think with curse words, I think curse words have a lot of power. And when you use them a lot, they lose their power. You know, they, they like when they're more normalized, like cool that they're normalized, but I think that they lose some of their power, especially from, you know, if you know someone who doesn't curse and then you hear them curse, you're like, oh, that's, 
that might that means something now because it's unusual because it's different. So, you know, that's the conversation that I had with her was I was like, you know, if you want to use bad words, I can teach you how to use them. Interesting. And she was like, okay. Like it was kind of weird for her, you know, but like that, I think that's the way that I try to do any parenting is like, I want, you know, I want my kids to learn how to do stuff in a way that's safe, that they could learn from me. I would rather them learn stuff from me than learn anywhere else. And it ties a little bit into the like, we're different. And we also don't, we try to teach our kids to not worry about what other people think. And so cursing though, is something people don't do because what would other people think? Like, what is your reason to have your kids not curse? Like, what is it? You know, the same way I have a hard time explaining to my kids why women shave their armpits. I don't know why. We just do it. We just do it because everybody else does it. And if everybody else stopped, we could probably stop. Like, it's so bananas. But there are things like that in our society. So it's hard, you know, explaining that stuff to your kid. That's like, what? Okay, sure, mom and dad. But we are the models of continuing that tradition or not. I think the last one that I've got on my list is coaching. So coaching is different than directing and modeling and, and mentoring. And that coaching, the way that I see coaching is coaching is helping someone to do it their way. So not necessarily my way, that would be directing, but helping somebody do it their way and helping them do it better that way because I'm in a different position and I can observe what they're doing. Sometimes when you're doing something, you can't observe yourself doing it. So I think coaching is helping somebody to do it their own way. So I think those four things are different ways that you can parent and you know, you employ different ones of those in different situations and not just different ways that parent, but basically different ways to lead. And I think that the, the same thing applies when you're running a team at work or running a team at you know, your local escape room, whatever it is, or, or being a parent to, to kids. What are some of your examples of like coaching kids? Uh, so let me, I'll give you some examples of coaching in general, right? Which is like, um, like Michael Jordan, best basketball player ever. I know that's debatable in my opinion, not debatable. He is the goat. Uh, Michael Jordan needed a coach. And I think one of the things that's a little bit different than directing, for example, is that a person who is coaching cannot say that they are a good coach. Like it doesn't mean anything because of course everyone's going to say that they're a good coach. How do you know if someone's a good coach? Is it the person that they are coaching says that they're a good coach? So how do you know? So, you know, Michael Jordan played mostly for one coach his whole career. He played for Phil Jackson. And so was Phil Jackson a good coach or was Michael Jordan just going to be Michael Jordan no matter who coached him? Well, if you ask Michael Jordan and you ask him like, how did you know, was Phil Jackson a good coach? He says yes. And there's a lot of quotes from him saying like, yes, Phil Jackson was a good coach. Phil Jackson did not teach him how to shoot or dunk or, you know, be that version of Michael Jordan. He taught him a bunch of other stuff. Um, he taught him a bunch of stuff that he knew that he, he needed and Michael Jordan admitted that he needed, but he couldn't do on his own. So one of those things was that, that he says is like, Phil Jackson helped me to, to stay in the moment of the game. He's like, I always let the game come to me. So if I needed to be slow, I could be slow. If I needed to be fast or aggressive, I did that. And Phil Jackson taught him how to do that. So that was a skill that he didn't have on his own, but acknowledged that he needed. He'd allowed Phil Jackson to coach him, and Phil Jackson was a good coach to help that along. So how does that tie into, into parenting and into coaching? I think some of those things are things that you can observe of your kids that are like, this is a thing that they might need help with. I remember when, when our youngest, Charlie, was an, a toddler, uh, she would have a hard time calming herself down once she cried. Like if she was crying, like she would work herself up to cry and I could tell she could not calm herself down. So I would ask her, sometimes one, she was crying, which is not the best time. And other times after she's crying, like, do you need me to help you calm down? Like, are, are you able to calm yourself down when you're crying when you want to? And she said, no. 
And so I said, okay, I, you want, would you like me to help you with that? And she said, yes. And so we kind of developed that, like when you are crying and you can't calm yourself down, here's some things that you can do. And I would breathe with her, you know, we would take deep breaths and I would hold her, you know, sometimes like sometimes just being squeezed was is something that she wanted. Like, so cool. I, I would hold her tight to kind of help her feel more secure. And then we would breathe together to help calm herself down. So there's, it's, it's a combination of coaching and modeling in that where we would do it together, but that's something that I could help her do. That's not a problem that I have. So I'm not directing that. That's not a problem that I suffer from. So it's not my way of doing things, but I was trying to help her do it in her own way. So that's one example of, I think, parenting is coaching. Do you think that coaching involves more of like, you know, your kid giving you feedback on what they want to do and you just kind of like shaping it or mentoring is just saying, well, here's what I would do. But coaching is more like, hey, what do you want to do? Is it like that or is it? I think it'd be active and passive. So it can be like, what do you want to work on? Oh, I want to learn to be a better shooter. And then there are other things that like just watching someone play, you're like, oh, their footwork needs work. You know, so I think I think coach, some of coaching is active where, you know, you're asking the person or the, the in this scenario, you're act, asking the kid, like, is there something that you want to work on? But again, kids often don't know that stuff yeah. because they can't observe themselves and they also don't have the logical function to be able to do that. So other times it's you observing them and going like, I think this could use work. And then what I try to do is I always try to ask for consent, you know, no matter how young or old my kids were, like consent to do things with them and, and for them. And they could opt out. They could say like, no, I don't want to do that. Even though you think this is a good idea, I don't want to do that. And it's like, cool, that that's what I want them to grow and, and learn in. It's funny because our oldest does that right now. Like we'll be like, hey, Sita, how about you not wear like heeled shoes to school all day and she's like no I'm fine and we're like "Mm, but like you know it's hot outside and you know if you're gonna wear them all day and you have PE today and you should just like wear sneakers and she's like no I'm good I'm like okay like there is a point where you just have to let the kid make their own choices and feel the consequence of it and let them you know it's like there's like a guidance but there's also you know oh here's some advice it's okay if you don't take it but like I think you should. And they're like, whatever, I don't care. Bye. And you're like, all right, you know, it's your feet. I think that's straight up boundaries training. That's like we're, we're letting them experience where they end, where they begin and end and where someone else begins and ends. So I think, I think that's good training to be able to say like, you can make that choice. You can decide what is right for you. Someone else is not going to do that your whole life. Cause we did that when you were a kid, when you were a baby, you can start to do that for yourself. And I think that's, I think that's a good thing. So, okay, I, I know I'm, this is a big tangent of like, I know you have 10 things, you know, so what, what, are the, what are the 10 things? This is great because the first one is the law of sowing and reaping and that it's like, what will happen if I do this? And that ties right into the like, well, what will happen if I don't listen to mom's advice and I wear these shoes all day? She comes home and like, you know, her feet are all sore and stinky and sweaty and she like rolls her ankle the next day or something like, you know, so that is a part of boundaries, them just learning that sowing and reaping. It's really cool. Nice. Yep. I think we're big on, on natural consequences for our kids too. It's like, yeah, you like you can make this choice and you can suffer the consequences um, if there are some. I, for me, one of the things that's tough is like not resorting to like, well, I told you so. <laughs> so that's the thing that I have to learn is like just to curb that part. You know, even though they're exper- we want them to experience the consequences on their own, like being with them in that. Yeah, not rescuing them from the pain. It's like, oh, oh man, doesn't that suck? I know it sucks when, you know, you end up wearing these shoes all day because you think they're going to look real cute and then you come home and like now you're suffering. Like, was it worth it? Oh, it's hard. And that's it. You decide. You decide your own consequences. You decide if it's worth wearing or not because babies are her it is. 
All right. The second one is the law of responsibility. I'm pulling my own wagon. Sort of like when your kids are fighting, do you intervene or do you allow them to work it out before you intervene? Like, you know, hey, you guys have to work this out on your own first before you come to me versus like you can't run to me every time someone hits you and you're mad. You know, and this, again, is like for a little bit older kids who can kind of understand, you know, the law of sowing and reaping, like number one, that like, all right, I can make these choices and I can get upset. But like, what's going to happen? Is mom and dad going to come in and am I going to feel vindicated? Am I going to get in trouble? And so (laughs) some of that is figuring out what you're responsible for. Wow, these are really good already. I know we're on number two, but like a big boundary thing is like rescuers. Yeah. Right. That that is a boundary problem where rescuers think that they're doing something really good for someone. And sometimes they even are, but it's still a boundary violation. So I think a lot of these are about like how you as a parent don't need to be a rescuer for your kid as much as you think you are. I had a parent tell me, I think even before I had kids, they said to me, you know, you can, there's only so many times a day you could say no. And I was like, what are you being serious right now? That sounds bananas to me. So I was like, that's not, I'm not going to parent that way. I don't think that's my style, but like, wow. Okay. So let's go to number two is the law of, I mean, three, it's the law of power. A lot of kids will be like, Oh, I can't do this. I can't do this by myself. But it's also like, but you're not helpless either. And you can learn to do it. So there's, there's that boundary of like, do I do it for them? Or do I teach them how to do it so that they won't have to do it next time? And this is something we work with a lot on our youngest because she has like that feigned helplessness. Like, oh, but like you do it better. Or like, you know, I I can't touch it because it's hot. I'm like, well, we bought you kid pot holders to like take something out of the microwave if you want to carefully. So there is that law of the power. You are able to do this so you can do it. I have a question about that for you. Okay. Um, how do you know when you're not crossing the line into just abdicating, right? Because that's a form of neglect is when a parent's like, I'm not doing anything for my kid. You could justify that with the law of power. So like, how do you how do you think about where the line is there? Yeah, that's a tough one. But I think it's really, really heavily dependent on your relationship with your kid and their developmental level. So you know, right now our kids will ask us to make them scrambled eggs. Have we taught them how to make scrambled eggs? Yes. Are they still a little bit nervous around it? Yes. So we'll do it. We'll, we start with degrees. So sure. I'm going to show you how to do it this time. I'm going to just let you hold the handle of the pan and learn how not to touch the stove. And then next time I'm going to like watch you do it, but I'll be right next to you in case you forget. And maybe I'll do it a third or fourth time. But after that, I'll let them know like, Hey, Next time, I think you can do this by yourself. I think that's like you're ready. You're ready to do this. And I think it's our job to facilitate that readiness and to know when they're ready. And I think that's only something a parent can know. I love that. So good. Um, the next law is the law of respect. I am not the only one who matters. Wow. Wow. That's a good balance to the previous three. Yeah. It's like a lot of the previous three is like empowering myself. And then this one is like, but not too much though. <laughs> so good. It's like, it's not all about me. And that it should be one of our family values. That should be for the, That's good. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, the, everything isn't about you. And honestly, nothing is really about you. Like you are the only one who cares the most about yourself. We love you, but like you are going to be your own advocate and eventually. So learn how to respect yourself and respect others. It's a nice. big part of boundaries. Okay, number five is the law 
of motivation. There's life beyond because I'm the mommy or like because I said so. So that one is interesting. And we touched on that a little bit earlier where kids learn that external motivation young. And then as they grow, it's our job to help them develop internal motivation of the like, okay, mom tells me to clean my room all the time, but like, I don't care about it. But eventually they need to learn on their own why. And it's important. So like, oh, whenever my friends come over and they want to hang out in my room, I feel a little bit embarrassed. And I have like some weird shame feelings about it. And my friends are like, yo, your room's disgusting. And some kids won't care for sure. But some will over time be like, Mm, this is not really how I want to show up in the world. And so they develop their own motivation around things like that. Wow. I relate that one to sports oh. uh, and, and the one that like, you know, signing our kids up for gymnastics or for swimming or for things like that. And the weeks that they just don't want to go. And it's like, wait, wait, I mean, we paid for this. You agreed to do it. You wanted to do it. And I don't want to push them to like, I don't want to be that sports dad who's like pushing their kids to the brink of breaking but I also, it's like, I mean, you made this commitment. Like how, how do they develop their own internal motivation to be like, I picked wanting to go to field hockey. So I, yeah, I know, I know I don't feel like it right now, you know, but I'm going to do this because it's a commitment that I made. This is a huge issue, I think, for this pivotal age. And I think I've talked to a lot of friends about it who have kids this, this age where they are in sports and they are voicing their opinions about it and they don't want to go somewhere and something. And I'm, one of the things that we found has really helped was if we sign you up for something, you are committing to this for X amount of time. So for the season, um, that doesn't mean if you don't feel like going that you don't go. That means you go to everything and then next season will reevaluate based on how you felt this season. So by saying yes now, by me putting the money down, that means you are committing to going to all of them. Are you willing to commit? To, and the kids like look at us and we like look them in the eyes and we're like, is this something you want to do and they they do make the choice and I think that makes the whole season or piece of time much easier and it puts a lot of onus on them to really check in with themselves and it's worked a couple times I know we have a lot of thoughts on this but it's it's the idea of like a contract right it's yeah. like a, it's like a, sometimes it's a physical contract we make our kids sign sometimes it's a just a social contract between us but I think accountability is part of that motivation um, and I know we've got some more contract stuff and talk that we'll. Oh, yeah, because one of the things we do on our MFPs, our monthly family party meetings, is the kids bring up their um, extracurricular activities that they want to do. And they even do like PowerPoint presentations and we have them research and look up the ones that they want to do, even if it's with their friends or whatever, so that they now have like some excitement and ownership over what they want to do. And I think that eliminates a lot of the resistance of like, well, I don't feel like going today. I don't feel like we have a lot of that because they yeah. are so involved in their own life. I think it's cool to see them develop their own intrinsic motivations to things that like no longer have to come from us. And like they have their own desires. I think that's to me, that's one of the coolest parts of parenting that I've experienced so far. Yeah. One of the things we do with our kids, I think this is related to a couple of the other ones, is if I make dinner at night and they don't want it and they're like, what else can I have? I'm like, what else can you have? It's a good question. You should go look because I made dinner and like I'm not making you another dinner. That's bananas to me. So if you don't want this one, that's fine. But you're on your own to figure out what you want. So 
that's your job. That's like pro level. That's like combining a bunch a, a bunch of these laws. It's like okay, it's the law of motivation, but also the law of of responsibility and the law of power. It's like yeah, and cool. respecting my time. Yeah, I love <laughs> I it. Okay, so let's go to the next one. This is number six: the law of evaluation. Pain can be a gift, um, and the chapter goes into more about like protecting your kid from pain and feelings and not letting them experience consequences and like rescuing them. So I think that's kind of what this one is about. Nice. Yeah. It's them like being like, Oh, I didn't like that last soccer season. I don't think I want to do it again. And you'd be like, okay, we won't do it again, but not letting them bow out of practices because yo, you're on a team. Like you committed to this, you're hurting the team. So see it through and then we'll decide. So that's a tough one for kids, but they kind of get that. They, I mean, at least ours have. So uh, the law of proactivity is number seven. It's that tantrums can't last forever. I don't know if there's a lot more to say about that one. Well, I'm, I'm not sure how that relates to proactivity. What, what do you mean by that? It has to do with, you know, even though in the moment it's hard and you're anti whatever is happening, there's something you can do about it. Oh, nice. Yeah, cool. So the way that relates to kids is kind of like whining in the store. Yeah, you can whine at me, but like you're not going to get anything. Like nothing's going to come of this. But you know what? If you want to be proactive, if you want this thing, hey, earn some money, buy it for yourself. Or, you know, I'll take a picture of it. You can wait till Christmas. So there's that that sort of boundary. That's sort of a boundary with self. So yeah. I like that one. One of the things that my dad did with me that I do with our kids too is is like anytime I wanted something growing up, he would go, cool, I'll put up half the money. And I was like, all right, like, so I got to put up the other half, you know, but like, at least I have, it's a very clear signal that there's help here, there's support for you, but yeah, I got to do my part on it too. And so I think that that works really well with our kids is like, you want to buy that video game or you want to buy that, you know, whatever that thing is, I'll put up half, you know? And so you've got to, you've got to do your part. And if you don't do your part, well, you don't get the other half. It's not like I'm giving you half the money. It's that once you raise your half, then I will, I will match it. Um, and I, I like that as a model. Yeah, that's cool. And it lends itself well to the next one, which is number eight, the law of envy. I am happier when I'm thankful. Ooh, nice. Yeah. So that's a tough one. Yeah, that one's hard, even for adults. Like, I think we get a little caught up in like, well, they have this and I want something cool. So, but it has to go with the proactivity stuff. If I want that, well, how can I get it? I wonder why that's not called the law of gratitude. I wonder why they, they chose the negative word. Maybe envy's not negative. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe I'm. Maybe that's my connotation. Maybe for it. envy is a motivator. All right. I mean, jealousy, that. I guess, would be the more negative version. Right. But I think envy is like something that allows you to really appreciate something and you want it for yourself. But whatever, we can get into semantics another time. Um, number nine is the law of activity. Jump starting my engine. The one quote that I took from this chapter, because I was like, what is that? It was like respect before friendship activity resulted friendship before respect passivity resulted interesting that's not what i would have thought about like just hearing the name of it my my thought would have been the law of activity is and, and what was the, the subtext there is like something about just getting my engine started yeah yeah i think i think it's the idea that like sometimes you just got to do something it is that it is like it's kind of like getting your kid to not be lazy right it's just like take any step like it doesn't matter what the first step is just that just that you take one and then that kind of gets the ball rolling. Yeah, it's kind of like, so our kid has a 
really tough class this year. I think she's in LA honors or yeah. Honors language uh, arts. Yeah. yeah. And so it's the first time she doesn't have a good grade in it. And we're like, so what are you going to do about it? She's like, well, I don't know. It's just like really hard. And like, she's just like, and there's like a lot of work and, da, da, da. and we're like, so what's one thing you can do to raise your grade? I think it's that the law of like, just do something. Yeah. Don't just whine. Okay. And then number 10 is the law of exposure. Honesty is the best policy. It's an odd word choice again. Exposure? Why exposure? I mean, they probably get into it more in the chapter. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't make the tie on exposure. I think but, but exposure I is like being seen and being honest and showing up as yourself versus hiding something or suppressing or because I think without that, like it's kind of damaging. So anyways, these are all the 10 boundaries principles that kids need to know. So the idea is that if kids understand these 10 laws, you know, whether in name or just in concepts, they can have good boundaries or they will develop good boundaries. Is so the, the essence of boundaries is self-control, responsibility, freedom, and love without good boundaries in childhood. It leads to impulse problems, addictions, irresponsibility, a host of things. And so truly responsible people, they take ownership of feelings, attitudes, behaviors, choices, limits, talents, thoughts, desires, values, love. So the goal is that we are trying to make them healthy adults who can have all those things and who aren't struggling with impulse problems and addictions or irresponsibility. And so I bet you what they find a lot is that people who do struggle with that stuff never learned boundaries. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I think like, I think our job as parents is to raise whole humans. And ideally, by the time they leave our care, they are whole, you know, or as close to it as possible. And I think boundaries help you understand what your whole is. So I think I'm going to end with this quote um, from the book. It's children raised with good boundaries learn that they are not only responsible for their lives, but also free to live their lives any way they choose, as long as they take responsibility for their choices. For the responsible adult, the sky is the limit. Love it. Nothing to add. We're doing a great job, guys. We're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. All right. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us. If you love this content, please download the episode, subscribe to the podcast, and share with anyone in your life who wants to be more intentional about raising amazing kids. If you want more from us, please join our email list at greatjob.kids newsletter to get more parenting strategies, tips, tools, and templates directly to your inbox. You can also find Great Job on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. You're doing a great job.